Jesus, Pastor Lauren, everybody being here. So exciting, so exciting. So we're going to go into a sermon series on honor. And before we get the definition of honor, I just want to share with you why I'm teaching on it. And these notes and everything will be online. They're on the blog right now if you want to review them. The concept of honor has been so important in my heart for a bunch of different reasons. Let's leave up that head, uh, main screen there. Thank you. For many different reasons. And as I began to share why God was putting this on my heart and what he was teaching me, I then began to share it with the staff and the other elders, and they were like, man, God, God's been telling me we need to talk about that too. So this is a message that's coming with quite a bit of confirmation, quite a bit of confirmation. There's a lot here that the church has been feeling. And what better spot than to start with you all in the Bible college? I was actually tempted to bring it into the Sunday service, but I felt like here would be the place to bring it. And if they want to be good students of the Word and check out the podcasts and go back and listen to it, they can as well. And so here are just some of the, the, the things that we're going to go over in this sermon series. Here's some of the reasons why I, I felt God spoke it to me and some of the confirmations. Well, just looking at our generation that we're in right now, 2019 going into 2020, we live in a, a generation that doesn't understand honor. And we don't even respect our president. We don't respect our leaders. We don't respect the police. Uh, just the generation as a whole doesn't respect adults, doesn't respect their elders. And so much of what they say against the ones that they're not respecting may be true, like, oh, I don't want to respect Trump because of how he's treated women. That, that's true. You don't have to respect that behavior, but respect the office of president. Just like I didn't respect what Bill Clinton did, Bill Clinton had an affair while in office, y'all. I mean, th this is where you see the hypocrisy of the media always siding towards homosexuality, always siding towards abortion, always siding towards their, their leftist agenda, socialism, and those kinds of things. Like, like, like in their world, like, uh, you know, Donald Trump is the worst womanizer ever because he did these things in his past. That, that's true and that's wicked. But there was a Democratic president that did that in his present while he was in office, and they still couldn't impeach him and get him out, even though he he had lied under oath in what he did. So don't fall into this narrative that the justice warriors are really standing on high moral ground or that the majority of uh, the feminists are standing on high moral ground. No, they're doing this because of their agenda. Even when, even when Obama was president, I didn't insult him in those kinds of ways. I respected the office. I rebuked him for his sin, but I didn't say things like, he's not my president, he's a bozo, he's a clown, oh, bummer, instead of Obama. You know, I didn't mock him in those kinds of ways. I, I respected the office. I respected the office because that is an authority. Now, Ellen DeGeneres, I mean, DeGeneres is not an authority over me, so I give that a little bit different of a mocking, a little bit different of a, of a punch with the words that I use, but, but I still honor her as a person, and as you see, as I've tried to describe her behavior with the nickname that I gave her, as I try to describe her, I still pray for her and love her. I see her beyond her, her, her perverse ways. 
But anyways, I just was looking across the culture, and I was just noticing all the dishonor that was in the culture. And then I noticed that it was also in the church, that people in the church were not honoring. Uh, For example, if I was to ask most SUM students, who are your favorite preachers? One of the most alarming things that would, would, would come to me is that most SUM students would only name people who are alive. So that means they have no honor for the past. So many of you would fall victim to that. And it's not necessarily like you're purposely dishonoring the other ones. So I want to be careful with that. But you haven't been taught to honor those who came before you. So in other words, most of you would say living preachers. It wouldn't be in your mind to mention past preachers. And then as a majority, as a, as a large group of Christians, the, the majority of people they're going to say are ones who are so far, so far from what biblical Christianity is like. I was listening to them today, and I wish I could name their names, but this is still an SUM meeting, so I'll honor SUM protocols. But uh, I was listening to these men. They were talking. It was their breakout session. All the big pastors of the conference were there. They all had their skinny jeans on and their Nike Air Jordans or whatever. They all had their, their cool looks and all of that. And, uh, and I was listening to them, and I'm thinking to myself, if this is the impression that they're trying to give us, the image they're trying to give us, that this is what ministry is, no wonder pastors blow their heads off. No wonder so many pastors are on depression medication. The most controversial thing they talked about was some of the critics and what they say about them. But they literally, and if anybody wants it, just email me and I'll give you the talk and you guys can listen to it. They literally did not address any of the hot topics. And I made sure to listen to the entire thing. They did not address what's going on in your churches in regards to LGBT. What's going on in your churches right now in regards to the woke movement and how people are wanting to divide us among race again? How, how are you overcoming the distaste of Christianity in our culture and what media is doing? Nothing. I mean, you would sit and listen to this. If you're sitting listening to this thinking this is ministry, you would have thought they're talking about ministry in the 1950s with Billy Graham. When everybody's got a worldview of a Christian, most people acknowledge the Bible, etc. And by the way, uh, a lot of the churches that are up for sale and they have Ichabod on them and they're trying to make money through their denomination or their church because they're backslidden, most of them were built in the 50s and 60s. There was an amazing movement, even here in Chicago, across America in the 50s and 60s, of Christianity growing more than it ever had percentage-wise beforehand. So there were more Christians percentage-wise in the 50s and 60s than there was even during the time of the Bible, be- Bible Belt and the other time, times. Uh, church attendance, I believe, is, is the statistic I'm thinking about. More people are going to church on Sundays. And so we're, we're living in a generation where being controversial is not siding with all of the things that Ellen is, is siding with. 
So if Ellen's against racism, now the church preaches against racism. And Ellen's preaching about social justice. And so everybody preaches about social justice. And everybody's against Trump and how he's a womanizer. And we're focusing on what he did and what he said 10, 15 years ago, forgetting that he made uh, Jerusalem the, the capital for Israel with our embassy, forgetting that he has protected more Christians around the world and brought up their cause, forgetting that he has stood for pro-life, forgetting that he has done all of these things that Christians would love. Let's just think about what we don't love about him. Let's just, let's just focus all of our attention there because in my mind, and everybody get this, politically speaking, if you can't vote for a person like Trump, I totally get it, but how in God's name could you ever vote for a Democrat? I mean, if you have a moral ground that you just go, I can't. I just, I can't too much, too much here. Too, I can't. Well, then, dear God, you're not voting for a Democrat then, right? Like, there's no way on God's green earth you're ever voting for a Democrat. Because even if you just took, even if you just took Israel, Christian stances, uh, you know, helping Christians around the world, uh, you know, giving them their rights back and all of these things, and then just took abortion as the issue on this side of the scale, there is nothing, nothing on this other side the scale, even as much as I love my gente and immigration, and I probably have more of a liberal mind towards immigration than a conservative like a Ted Cruz or whatever, but my point is, there is nothing on this side that can even come close to balancing out this side, so it's, if, if it's like, there's evil over here, like there's evil, and I don't like this over here, dear God, do you see the evil here, because there are such things in the world as specks and planks. Jesus talks about it. There's specks and planes. I have no doubt in my mind that there's specks in the conservative, Republican side of things. No doubt. But there are, I mean, come on. There are planks over here, my friends. Planks. So if you're trying to choose between two evils, let's just be honest about it. Vote a third party. Vote Joe Y. Rostick, W-Y-R-O-S-T-E-K. Write it in, and if I get enough votes, I'll be there for you. But uh, don't tell me you're standing on a high ground not voting for this man because of X, Y, and Z, but yet you'll support a genocidal maniac like Hillary Clinton that literally still supports birth, uh, birth abortion, not even just partial birth. If the baby is born and alive, you can still kill that child. That is, by definition, genocide. So, so let, us not, let us not be pretending that we live in a neutral time. We don't. But we should honor the church and honor the past. So here's what I hear a lot from the older generation. There's no more honor for what we did. Like Dr. Ophelia. Nobody remembers what he did in Louisiana and Shreveport and how he memorized the New Testament, wrote an entire commentary for the New Testament, and translated the New Testament. I mean, how much more could you do with the New Testament, you know? Memorized it, translated it, and wrote a commentary on it. That's his mark on the, on the world. But yet, because somebody gets up in tight pants and tells you you're going to make it, they're now the one that's invited to the view to speak for us. You don't speak for us. And why don't you honor at least our tradition? Like, man, you guys have heard me here. Even in Calvinism, I honor the tradition. I explain it to you. And then I tell you why we disagree. Why can't they at least say Christians as a whole believe abortion is a sin? We believe that as a whole because of X, Y, and Z. We believe homosexuality. Why can't you just honor the foundation on which you're standing. And the, and the bottom line is, the reason why they cannot honor the foundation, the reason why they cannot honor these men of God is because they don't accept them. 
That's why Jesus said, you don't accept me in my hometown. You don't accept me. So a prophet is without honor in his own hometown. They, they didn't accept Jesus and honor him. And a lot of the church today is not even honoring the past, let alone the heroes that walk among us. Like who is a hero among us? Troy Bond, working in New Orleans, over 25 years of street ministry, bringing in the homeless, caring for the poor, right now every Tuesday going out to the streets of New Orleans, feeding them with the big taco truck, Taco Tuesdays, uh, developing ministers, developing churches, having integrity, being married to one woman, one wife, or somebody over here that's 30-something years old with tight pants that doesn't even know what a sin is. So why are we honoring this? That we, we can say, I honor the gospels coming forward, because at the same time, we don't want to be jerks. We have to honor too. But, but why are we purposely neglecting what's going on over here? I was talking to Brother Anthony about this, and, and I can only go into so much depth, but I don't want to get him in trouble either. But, you know, Brother Anthony in, in New Orleans and his son, Justice, getting his Ph.D. and this wonderful ministry they do there in the urban area. And he continually tells me, I go to the district meetings in my denomination. I sit at the table. But it just seems like the mega messes, I mean mega churches, always get the loudest voice. And then whenever I chime in, it's always the pat on the head. Now, thank God he has kept me out of a denomination because my demeanor is not like Brother Anthony's. One pat on the head and you would see where that would land you. Do you understand? Like Kanye said, mess with me and you'll find out what happens, you know, on Closed on Sunday. You're going to see what happens, spiritual warfare. Pat me on the head one time and try to yes boy me, yes son me because of my size. And I'll pull out our mass report and go toe-to-toe with you statistically right now on how many disciples you have. We'll go right now. Pull out them numbers. I already heard you boast. You say you run 5,000 on Sunday. Now tell me how many you're running Monday through Saturday in your discipleship. We'll put it right here. We'll put it right on the money, honey, and I'll turn on the camera. Let's turn on the camera while he puts out his numbers, TJ. Let's go. I have nothing to hide. And then, you know, we're doing our worship album, giving away things, doing all these things. And then now I just want to hear the mega mess tell me why they have to keep charging people. When are people going to get woke to this? When are people going to get woke? If we can give it away for free, how much more so should you give it away for free? And when you give away things for free, don't people then want to give back to you and support you? Every time we give things away for free based on what the tithes and offerings of of the church were, people are excited to give again. Oh, wow, we did give to that. We gave to the drums. That's how the drum set got up there. So we shouldn't have to pay to go to the concerts when the guy plays the drums. We gave to the drums. So now if we need to pay to do some studio work and all that, we're going to give to that. We're going to give to that. And when everybody does that, it becomes an us thing. It's a joint, it's a joint venture. We take pride in that, just like with the people of Israel. Amen? Tithes go to the Lord. That was like their tax. That's like the, the Holy Ghost tax to be in the kingdom. But after that is our offerings, and that goes to all the other projects that we want to do. And you know in our church we do the building and offering. It's a very simple thing. 10% goes to the house to keep everything in order. You, if you have a good church like we do, we run within our budget always a few thousand under every single month so we can always keep tucking some away. And then we go to our building fund, mission fund, and you guys just came back from the Philippines. All expense paid trip to go to the Philippines. And that's the way it's going to be. That's the way it's going to be when you get sent out to live in the Philippines. It's going to be that. We're going to support you because you are a son or a daughter of the house. If you have honored this house, you will have the honor of being supported here. 
and we will grow with our missionaries. So never are we going to say, now it's time to do the bake sale. Now it's time to do the car wash. If we ever have more missionaries than we can raise money for, we'll fall on our face and do a 40-day time of prayer and consecration to the Lord and give up our Starbucks and give up our, our extra Uber rides and ride the scooter instead to support those missionaries. But it's not like at that point we're going to say, well, now we're going to start doing all these fundraisers and a concert and a conference and everybody who gets. No, I don't even care if the right thing is done with that money. It's still the wrong way. We've got two poles here. I could use that money for for stripping to go to missions right now. Does that mean we should start stripping because we're going to use the money? See, that's pragmaticism. That's pragmaticism. See, uh, everybody wants to say it until you walk it through. A lot of arguments, a lot of people's plans are defeated in the absurdity of walking it through. Learn that intellectually when you discuss with people. When they don't have methods built on the Bible, just take a method not in the Bible that you can use to show how absurd things can get. The reason why we don't do fundraisers for things is the same reason why we don't do strip polls for things. It's not the method of how the Bible taught us to raise money from beginning to end. From beginning to end, from all the wealth of Abraham to all the wealth of Israel to all of the wealth of the kings and the nation of Israel to all the wealth that was in the church given to Jesus to all the wealth that was given to the New Testament disciples that was given by the people who sold their property. They never had to do another method. So let's go back to what I'm saying. Honor. We need to honor the past. We need to honor the word. We need to honor the leaders who God has placed in our life. And that's why I honor you. I honor you because I honor the position that you're in as a student. So, for example, and Lauren can testify to this, it doesn't just go one way. Like, like we're sitting here just wanting all of your honor. And we've heard about churches like that where you're always giving and you're always giving, but the bathrooms are busted, you know. No, you just keep giving. Don't worry about where the money is going. You keep giving us honor, but we treat you like slaves and have you do our laundry and dry cleaning. But you just keep giving us honor. No, that's not how it works. In a true biblical church, the leadership, which you'll be a part of one day, and some of you already are as as a deacon, uh, the leadership honors the people just as much as the people honor the leadership. Because we are your servants. We are your servants. And that's why I teach you with SUM, they're not doing you a favor, they're doing you a service. That means if you disagree with something, you can raise your hand, ask a question. If you don't feel like you're getting what you're paying for, you're not learning, uh, it's, it's going too fast or it's being taught in a different way that you can receive, you're, you're owed that help. Uh, if something is being, you know, people are deterring the class or the professor's wasting time or something, they're not doing you a favor, they're giving you a service. So they need to honor your time. Honor you as a student. Honor your thoughts in the class as well. And that's what I always did. That's what, um, you know, somebody was asking me if I was going to go back and teach for SUM. You know, how would I treat others who have disagreed or had different opinions? I never was given the complaint as a professor that I did not hear the other church's ideas and their different methods and so forth because I honored them. It wasn't a time for me to try to do another Bible study with my church. I was honoring the school, just like I'm not naming names right now because I'm honoring the school. And so when you look at the scriptures, from beginning to, to end, you see that honor is a key, a, key, a key component to everything we do. So we're going to go through like honoring God. And I think today will be it. We'll get the general idea, and then I'll come back and I'll talk about honoring 
you know, others honoring the ministry, etc. If the Lord puts it in my heart to speak more, because I just have five points of today on honoring God, I can come back and expand on. So I'm really just going to kind of go with the flow here. But we're going to learn how to honor God. We're going to learn how to honor ourselves. You got to learn how to honor yourself, the calling that God gave you. You are not your own. You have to honor your body that was given to you. I actually caught that Revy the other day when I was studying about us being the temple of the Holy Spirit and how we can't destroy it because if we destroy our temple, God will destroy us. And this is not really meant to be a diet passage, though I think that things that are obviously not good for our body should be avoided from that passage. But the passage's uh, like main context is you don't offer your body to sinful things like sexual immorality and so forth, idolatry, because even your body belongs to God. It is a temple, it is sacred, and you honor it. And it was just so weird, man, because I don't know about you, but sometimes you ever just look at your body and you're just like, man, look at this, man. I mean, I got little little hairs coming out here I never even think about. I've got freckles. I wonder when I got that freckle. You know, you look at how you're fearfully and wonderfully made, like how your fingers go back and forth. I mean, you can become in awe of this shell that you're in and just how amazing it is. You are in this like an earth suit. You have grown with it. You have you have been joined to it like Sully was an avatar to his body. You have been conjoined to this, and so it feels so much a part of who you are, but it is a temporary part of who you are. It's not all of who you are, and it's temporary. So anyways, I was thinking about, man, I have to honor God with this body. I have to honor God. I can't hurt myself even if I, you know, have a bad day or I don't like what's going on. I can't go get drunk and do that to my body. This body does not belong to me. I can't be, I mean, this is even Paul's example. I can't be sexually immoral with this body and still be right with God because I'm dishonoring my body. And then we'll talk about, you know, honoring the ministry and honoring your calling. So many times I, I talk to SUM students and they think like honoring their calling is, is like filtered through man and filtered through the local church that they're in. That is not true at all, my friends. Think about the dear saint that's already passed from our church, Diana, Juan's wife. She is now before her maker. I am no longer her pastor. That was a temporary thing, but she is now with her maker. Did she do what her maker wanted her to do? Did she get said to, well done and good and faithful servant? Is she beginning to understand her rewards for what she did here? That is not between me. How many know I have nothing to do with that? But on, on her earthly journey, I was responsible to encourage her, to help guide her, to maybe rebuke her or spur her on. Do all those pastoral things that all of you here are, are learning to do as well, and you do already many of your ministries. Yeah, I was responsible to do that, and then I'll be judged accordingly to that. But ultimately, big picture, she was supposed to honor her calling for herself. Honor your calling. You don't drop something that you honor. You don't mistreat something that you honor. You don't treat as cheap something that you honor. You value it. You appreciate it. And so I, I've thought about that many times. Am I honoring the calling that God has given me? Am I honoring what I am doing here, or am I speaking against it? 
And I remember one time when I was first starting off pastoring, living on Clark Street there in New Orleans, mid-city, there in the hood, I was running a shotgun house. Somebody had the front, I had the back. It was lifted off the ground, had holes in the floor, rats came in and out, had to eventually nail that down to get the rats from coming in and out. You guys know me, I'm a very clean person, I've always been that way. I didn't take off my socks other than to shower uh, for basically the first year. So that means I would get off uh, into like my socks and sandals in my own bathroom go to the shower, come into my sandals in my own bathroom, and then put on my socks and not walk barefoot in my own house. And that's something that I say because I walk barefoot everywhere. If you guys know that, I walk barefoot in my house all winter long and all of that. But I wouldn't even do that there. It was disgusting, roaches, ugly. And I was like cursing it one day. I was speaking against it. I was dishonoring it. And I remember the Lord told me, unless you honor this, I have nothing more to give you. There's nothing more I'm giving you unless you honor this. So now you come into my house and you're like, look at this white boy looking, living out in the suburbs over here. Man, this ain't even hard. Man, I could be a pastor and all this. But you don't know where I came from. I had to honor the Lord in the hood. And some of you are like, I still live in the hood. And I was brought up in the hood. Man, I'll probably die in the hood. Well, that may be true. We'll take that up with your master then. And I got a beautiful Revy out of this yesterday. So we named our daughter Bethany because of the place Bethany. All of our children's names have meaning. None of them are accidental or because they sound cool. Like we added names together. You know how some people do all of that or just find something they like. There's real meaning to it. Bethany is the suburb of Jerusalem. And Jesus loved hanging in Bethany. And I got that Revy yesterday. That's just like me. I love Elgin for what it is. It gives me a reprieve from all the urban madness that I continually face when I come to the city. You guys all live here. You know what I'm talking about. But at the same time, it's close enough to the city that I can participate in what's going on and be in the heart of the ministry. And so don't hate me because I live in Elgin. Jesus lived in Bethany, okay? That's what I'm trying to say. I am justified. And you can live wherever you want in Volo if you want. As long as you get here on time and you serve Jesus and don't complain, you can live wherever you want. But this church down the road, they tried to throw some condo on me. We live in the neighborhood. We suffer with the people. We're here. That's awesome. Jesus was my Savior. I only needed one. The city only needs one. If you want to be there, Savior, that's cool. You can try to do that, but I'm not here to be anybody's martyr. I'm going to follow Jesus, okay? So don't let anybody put that trip on you. If you feel called to live in the community you minister in 24-7, that's great. Do that, but you don't have to do that to make a difference in the people's lives. I'm not your Savior. Look at me suffering, walking down diversity to Aldi's. Don't you respect me so much more as your pastor? Instead of me like, uh, uh, you know, wakeboarding on Fox River, you're like, man, he's not a real pastor. Listen, I'm just as much of a real pastor wakeboarding on Fox River as I am walking to the Aldi's here, uh, gripping my concealed carry to make sure I make it home tonight. The bottom line is I go wherever God tells me to go and wherever he gives me permission. And so we have to honor our calling. And if, like I said, if God told me to do this, if God told me to do that, I'm going to do that. And we do that within community, and I make sure that I'm honoring you. And we'll honor each other. And then that will be some of the other discussions that we'll have. You know, honoring another person. Honoring them above yourselves, as the Bible says. Wishing the best for them. I do wish the best for a lot of the elf crew. A lot of the people that wear the tight pants and the pointy shoes and all of that. I I want the best for them. I really do. I want to hear one of them come out and really just start preaching and then teaching and doing what Jesus did in the book of Matthew. And I'll be the first one to share it. 
As you can see, even with Kanye's thing, at first it was a share of curiosity. I want to see these things before I get behind it. I think I saw some of those things. Uh, I didn't see him specifically call out his, his father-in-law as a, as a hell-bound sinner because he's transgender, but I think I heard him bring down the morals pretty hard, and he says he's going to serve Christ whether his family does or not. So anyways, and then I came back, and I'm like, I'm proud of him. I'm supporting him. So just like how I've publicly got behind Kanye to try to see the positive in what he's doing, I'll do that with anybody. I really will. I don't have any desire in my heart to dishonor the body of Christ. I just want to make sure I'm honoring what Christ honors in the body of Christ. That's why we don't have their books back there. Because until their books can be affordable and given away for free, I'm not putting them back there. And I used to have other books, by the way, by Joey Hip. Joey Hip would give them to me. I would give them away, support his ministry, etc. But if they're going to make me pay, if Joyce Myers is going to make me pay $16.99 for her book to sell it to you for $22.99, I'm not doing that. You can go get that from Joyce Myers' website. You, you get that? Go get it. No one says you can. I'm just not putting it back there. I want a relationship with the publishers or the authors for books that are put back there. And so you guys write books, and we'll put your books back there. Amen? Okay. So that's the introduction to the series. Let's get into today's message, Honor God. Let's go to the definition of honor. Really nothing uh, up the sleeve there. You can look in the Greek, the Hebrew. Uh, and, and like all these words, they can have multiple meanings, so don't get lost in the strongs here with honor. Uh, they can have multiple meanings, but the meaning that we're going to be using, found in its context, is to value and respect. Simple. We know that. We know that's what it means. So there's nothing there that you're going to be surprised with in the definition, but I would like to say that, that honor and value do go hand in hand because I think sometimes we can respect a president, a leader, but not necessarily value them. And that's okay because on a different level, they may not need to be considered that valuable in the, in the things that, that they're doing if they're wicked. So like you would respect Caesar but not consider what he's doing very valuable to the kingdom. So there's going to be kind of a different measure that I want to point out. But in the kingdom of God, you want to see value and respect with God, his people, the ministry. You want to see those simultaneously. You want to see them going together. So you should not just respect me. You should value me. Value me. Take, take, take me out of just a positional place you respect and look at me now as a person as a father, as a husband, as a gifted person that teaches and preaches, do you value that in the kingdom? I think that should be a key of how we understand honor. So take, for example, when I was debating with Jared, by God's grace, Friday, the Iglesia Ni Cristo, that Filipino cult that is like Jehovah Witnesses, they believe Jesus is just a man, but he was appointed the Son of God at some point. Um, while we were debating them, they bring against us the full weight of their accusations of Christianity. What am I doing when I'm rebutting that? I'm rebutting their, con their um, confusion and their heresy against Christianity by the grace of God. And by doing that, I'm bringing value to the church. Meaning that person now is not going to be able to have the same conversation with the person from Belmont or the person from New Life because that person has met me. 
Do you see that? That's valuable to the body of Christ. We serve a value that way. And it's the same thing in evangelism as a whole. We serve a value to this city, okay? And the same thing is with the other churches. We value Belmont. Why do we value Belmont Assembly of God? Over a hundred years Pentecostal church for the glory of God, for the most part free from all uh, controversies and moral indiscretion in its senior leadership. There's a lot to value there, isn't there? There's a lot to value in different churches for the different things that they've done. So they should value us. They should respect us. They should value what we're doing as we do with them. And that's why, let me just take a little side issue here. It's so sad when I see these church buildings for sale, and they're from Christian denominations, some of them that are very similar to our beliefs, and yet they do not want to give us their building or do it at a fraction of the cost. They want to sell it to us just like they would the Greek Orthodox Church that's looking for a place because they've already lost their $2.2 million building. Now we're going to compete with the Greek Orthodox. I was talking to the realtor, and I'm like, do you even, do you even Holy Spirit? Do you even Jesus? Do you even do Christianity? Like, do you do it? Because, like, where are we even the same in the conversation? Well, I've got the Greek Orthodox looking at you. Might as well said I had the Muslims looking at it. You know, I, I have a non-gospel preaching church looking at this. Okay, so what? I could, like I said, I can make money on Fridays with the strippers. I got two poles. You know, I, I, I could sell the building to the Greek Orthodox. It's worth that much. So. Is what we're doing worth as much as what they would bring in money or if not more to the kingdom? Come on, somebody. But my point is, it's so funny because I have to clean that mess up on one side. So I have to go to my own people, the Christian church, and clean this mess up. And then when I go to the cults, they're like, most of all, these people are wretched, backslidden. They don't know what they're doing. Then I have to defend them. Then I have to go like, really, they do know what they're doing, but they're not good at it. They have the right beliefs, but they're kind of shy. I have to now, uh, like, defend why they knock on door after door after door and no other pastor does this with them. Like, you're one of the only ones. Where are you doing this with us? So they thought, like, we were some small little Bible study. I'm like, no, we have a couple hundred people. And they're like, wow, that's interesting. You have that many people and you're willing to come and talk to us? Like, yeah. I'm like, you're making my dreams come true. Why aren't we recording this one right now? He was scared. You know, he didn't want to do that. But by God's grace, we'll get a public debate with them. What I'm trying to say here is value and respect can't just be something you say. It has to be something you do. You have to show it. You see, I value uh, the churches around here by, by admiring what they do and respecting them. They need to admire and respect what we're doing if we're truly Christians. We had a woman the other day come up to us while we were preaching on the gospel truck, and, and she started off with, are you guys judging? Because I'm a Christian, and I want to know what you're doing. And then we started to explain to her what we were doing, but she kept arguing with us, so she was one of those passive-aggressive people. And it's like, what are you doing? Are you making an argument against us, or are you just asking questions? Because every time we ask a question, you argue then with us. If you really don't know, we've told you we're not judging except righteously by the Scripture to help prepare them for Christ. But it doesn't seem like this, so why do you do this? And so then I started rebuking her. And then she said, like, but I'm on your team. I said, you're not acting like you're on my team. She, and, then, and then after we rock her a few times by the scriptures, she's like, you're taking that out of context. You're taking that out of context. And I said, show me the context then. Show me the context, you know. So as we're drawing a scene, because I'm arguing with another Christian, which now I'm just used to it. Before, it used to send me home at night with tears in my eyes in one sense. But now I'm just like, well, I'll argue with muty students and Christians and whoever they are. I'll argue with you. If that's what you want to do, we'll show the world how dysfunctional our family is. But at least one thing will come out. They'll see you get rebuked out here, okay. And so anyways, while, while we're doing it, she's like, I just forgot what we're even arguing about. 
I said, let me tell you what we're arguing about. You came up to us all sassy pants, and now we are explaining to you what we're doing, and you don't like it because it still don't feel right to your millennial, hipster, Nicianity version of how this is supposed to be. Affirm us, bless us, and go on your way. That's all you're supposed to do as a Christian. Affirm the gospel, and if you're not sure, become sure, because cults can be like wolves in sheep's clothing. Become sure, and then affirm it. God bless you. We wish you the best. We pray for you. You know, God's speed, grace, and peace. I don't need, and this is another great thing, I don't need to argue with everybody on Facebook because they disagree with me as a Christian. I don't need to argue with everybody on the streets because they are a Christian. I'll entertain it if it's beneficial, but we can just honor people and be like, okay, I'm glad they're loving Jesus. Let's move on. But do I want us to see value in, in certain things? Yes, I want us to become a people of value. Now, let's honor God. Obviously, we need to value God, respect God. Let me give you some scriptures that may not be popular or you haven't heard for a while. These were some that were familiar to me, but it's great to go over them. They were already just encouraging me, teaching me. I hope they do the same. Five ways to honor God. Let's just go through it quickly so you can see it all at once if you're taking notes. Honor God is holy. Honor God's laws. Please keep going. Honor, honor God's, you got to scroll down, sir. Honor God above everyone. Honor God's will. Honor God in worship. So if you're taking notes, those are the five. We'll be going through them. Let's start with number one, Numbers chapter 20, verse 12. How many want to honor God? Amen. We honor the Lord. Honoring God is like honoring a lion. It's like you better <laughs> you know, it's not like, you know, it's like you're just doing him a favor. You're not doing the lion a favor when you honor it. You're just recognizing your position. I'm nothing right now. You know, I'm nothing compared to this lion. Honoring God is not like some great feat. It's really just basic. But it can transform your life and it can really grow you and mature you. That's why I like to be careful in how I use his name. I don't like OMG. I've taught my friends and family just do OM gosh, you know, do something. I just don't like his name taken out of vain. I don't like Medea. I used to. I used to be okay with that. I'm just, just telling you my personal preference. I think Medea just mocks a little bit too much the things of God in the terminology and dressing like a woman. I do feel convicted, especially now with what's going on in our generation. Also, there's a lot of Christian comedians, uh, Kevin on stage, and then John Chris, some of these other guys. I'll just be honest with you, they didn't bother me as much anymore. And even though John Chris has turned out to be a sinful, wicked man, he needs to repent. God, God restore him. But uh, I'm just being honest over time, not just because of that, just the way they, uh, they mock speaking in tongues, the way they, they do those kinds of things. I, I would just tell you to think of humor as this. If you can't laugh about it in front of Jesus, if you can't laugh about it in front of Jesus, then why are we laughing? Because Jesus is with us. I think Jesus wants us to laugh. I think he wants us to be full of joy. I don't think we have to take everything serious in the church. I think we can look at what we do at times and find humor in it. I think there's a fine line between that and getting into the realm of disrespecting what we're doing. Speaking in tongues and being emotional and being touched by God is not something I take lightly. That is a powerful thing that we experience in the presence of our God. And I would just say take it, take it serious. How we honor 
the, the things of God, our worship times and all of that. I think we should just take it, take it serious. So honor God as holy. And what holy literally means here is separate. Honor God as separate. That's why there were veils in the different parts of the temple. And as you went into different veils, there was a certain requirement for each veil and and certain actions. And then the final veil was only for the high priest or for those that God would allow and choose like Moses. And so we are not to treat God like he's like everyone else. God is not made in our image. We are made in his image. And that's a big difference because the gods of the world, the gods of the nations are made in the image of men. The Greek gods, the Hindu gods, uh, the god of Allah is just a big pervert. He's just a big perv. Uh, A lot of the gods of the nations are just wicked, sinful, um, you know, not astral projections, but projections, projections of human sinfulness. God is not like that. God is other. We have always pointed to God as other. So when people try to say, you're just like every other God, that is not true. In the very beginning, in the very beginning, we were told that our God is different, that we don't have images of him. When everybody at that time had images of their God. So you can't now look back on history and go, all these gods are alike. No, they weren't. In the time of the patriarchs, in the time of Moses and all of them, we stuck out like a sore thumb from all the nations. Don't you remember the story of Abraham? He rids himself of his family's idols. That's the start of this man's journey. You go into Egypt, we don't worship like they worship. We don't see people like the way they see people. Moses is not a pharaoh to us. Moses makes mistakes. From the very beginning of Moses' story, you realize he's human like you. He's not a God like Pharaoh. So he's not starting a nation based on a God complex like a Pharaoh would or so forth or a king. And so you just begin to understand that, that God is different. God is holy. Now, what's unique about God is that he makes us in his image. So there are things about us that reflect back towards his image. And when I was talking to this cult about uh, God saying, let us make mankind in our image, male and female, and be fruitful and multiply, I said it has to be a plurality because when God says let us, that's plural. And then when he makes in his image, he makes mankind plural. Is mankind one person? No, so it couldn't just be the Father. It has to be multiples. But when he reflects his image, it comes out male and female. And then in union, there's a child. So then what did they do? They tried to come back and trap me and be like, well, was, you know, they did the same thing cults of another kind believe. What is the Holy Spirit a woman? And then Jesus, uh, the Father has sex with the Holy Spirit makes Jesus. And I said, what you're doing is you're going from the natural back to the spiritual. And that's not how it works. The image is from the spiritual to the natural. So that means when he, God, through the he, Holy Spirit, via he, Jesus, forming us, all one God, the us making us, when they wanted to show what they were like, they made male, female, children, mankind. That, that's just how it is. It, the sexual thing doesn't mean they're sexual. It's just there's an image in sexuality that he wanted you to see about him. 
When people have sex, that teaches us something about Jesus, a oneness, a uniqueness. When multiplication happens, that teaches us something. But it doesn't mean God is sexual. It doesn't mean God is feminine. It doesn't even mean God is a man in the sense, in the Old Testament, that he had flesh and genitalia like a man. What it means is when God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit wanted to reflect their spiritual nature and what they're really like, this is what it looked like. This was the mirror that they could make because there are attributes that are feminine in the Godhead. There are attributes that are masculine. There are attributes of union, like there is in sexuality. There are attributes of creation, like there is in reproduction. There are attributes of dominion, like we had dominion. There are attributes of intelligence and desire and will, like man is a living soul and has desire and will. Do you all get that? But that doesn't mean now we take everything man does in sex and in war and all that and say, well, did God have war? Did God do this? Did God do that? Did God eat? Because now man eats. No, no, no. God said, I will make a reflection of me made out of clay, made out of matter, made out of those things. And that's just what it looks like. Whether we like it or not or agree with it, that just is what it is. But you can't now push it back to now say, God is like me. God is like me because I have sex, God has sex. God is like me. I'm a woman, he's a woman. God is like me. I eat, he eats. No. When God wanted to do something in the physical, he made us mankind, male, female, children, dominion, eat, multiply, live on the earth. That was supposed to be his image. And his image is what he is like. And that is as close as we can get. That's it. So there's nothing profound about what is God like. What he's like is mankind in the garden. That's what he's like. He said that's what he's like. There's no other place where he says, I'm going to make something in my image. And then what these people try to say, well, that was the angels. And I said, show me one scripture where it ever says an angel creates. I can show you where the Holy Spirit creates, where Jesus creates, the Father creates, and we only have one creator. Hello, somebody. So God is holy. God is not like us, but he's made us to be like him. So it's from that point of him being so different, so powerful, so amazing in all of his attributes that when he wanted to create a special creation, he did it in his image. But even that image is very distinct from who he is actually. It's a likeness. It's not a one-to-one ratio. Woman, where's the woman in Godhead? Sex, where's the sex in the Godhead? It's not a one-to-one comparison. It is a likeness. Because otherwise, we would have no idea what he is like. If we didn't call him a he, we wouldn't know what he was like. How do we even refer to things? We called an it, and it is not a person. If he didn't have his descriptions in humanity for humanity to know him, we would not know what relationship is like. That, that comes from us knowing each other. So we had to know each other to know how we could know him because that's part of his image is knowing father knows son, son knows spirit. Are you guys tracking with me? He made us for relationship because he's in relationship. We had to be given that. That's a likeness that we have. He has a mind and he thinks and he makes decisions. So he had to give us a mind to make and think and to do decisions like that. But he's unlimited in all of his power. He's unlimited in all of his knowledge. We can't even think in, in that kind of all-encompassing way. We can only think in linear ways. He sees the entire thing like a circle, like an infinite ball of knowledge. He can grasp it all. We have to discover and learn and do all of that. So when we, sit, when we say that God is holy, God is separate, God is different, we're not saying that God can never be known. 
What we're simply saying is, is that God cannot be known unless he tells us how he's known. Unless he describes who he is, we don't know anything about him. But what is the first thing that we know about him? Is that he made us to be like him. Not one-to-one exactly the same exact thing, like we're going to be gods like him. Some other cults believe that. You can go into heresy right there in Genesis chapter 1. You would be surprised how many heretics come right out of Genesis 1 wrong and miss the whole entire thing. But if you have it right, you understand the big picture. So in Numbers 20 verse 12, we see that Moses strikes the rock out of anger while he's leading the people. He's so frustrated with them and all they've been doing. And Aaron was with them as well. And Aaron had already done all of his mistakes, questioning Moses' leadership, worshiping a golden calf. Now God speaks to both of them and says, Because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I gave them. I give them. If you don't understand how God is holy and honor him that way, you will not experience the promises he has for you. You must honor him, and not only privately, but among the people. We must be those who understand God is not like us in that he is perfect. We're not born sinners. We need his perfection. God has all knowledge. We don't have all knowledge. We're limited, so we don't understand plans. So we can't get upset with him, complain against him, and expect to experience his grace, his blessings, and all that he has for us. If we do that, we dishonor him. That doesn't mean we have to like the sinful things in his plans because he's helped teach us what is sinful and what he's using for good and what is good that he's using for good. So we don't applaud death and go, I'm so happy that my sister died and now Juan's a single, mom, a single father and, the, and Elijah doesn't have a dad. Oh, well done, gracious God. No, because we know death is a bad thing. But God in his plan is using it for his glory. So we say glory to God for what you're going to do in Juan's life, what you're going to do in Elijah's life. We don't remain in godless pity like some type of just feel sorry for them. Let's just all go to counseling and talk about how sad we are. There's a time for mourning, yes. But we don't look to the dead for our hope. We look to the living and we honor him and we believe that his plan is bigger than our plan. Can I hear an amen to that? And when you look at what the plan was for the Israelites, it was to go through the desert and learn their lessons. And Moses did a bad job here. He gets angry instead of being a patient teacher. So it's a great lesson for all of us to understand that if God is doing something through the people that we're ministering to, we don't have the right to dishonor that plan because in actuality, that's dishonoring him. When he struck that rock out of anger because they were so thirsty, he said, I'll just get you water right now, boom, and he hits the rock out of anger. God didn't say to him, well, that was just something you did against them. Just go apologize. No, he said, you dishonored me because you represent me in front of them. And so you and I have to honor God, not just like privately, you know, we meet these people all the time. I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. Don't always live like it, but, you know, I really honor him. Like, no, no, no. No, honor him now. Come on this mic and testify. Honor him now. Honor him in front of your friends at Christmas that are LGBT and preach the gospel and let them know that that is damnable. Honor him now and teach the world about the gospel and there's only one way. You know, honor him in front of the side of the people. Honor God as holy. Let's go to the next one. Honor God's laws. Or you could say honor God's word because his word gives us laws. Now here's a story you'll never hear from the elf crew. And I don't understand because they love allegory. They love allegory. 
David and his uh, slingshot got brought up in that talk. A few other people of the Old Testament, you know, got drug in through the allegorical rake and their message raked across the podium up there. But I don't know why they don't allegorize this one. Let me summarize it. God got upset with the people for worshiping pagan gods, marrying their wives, and he started a curse, and he started killing them through a disease. And he was going to wipe them out. God had intended to wipe them out a bunch of different times, but because people would do things in his, in his, um, by, by his grace to uphold his, uh, to stay his wrath, God would have mercy on the people, like the, the brazen serpent in the desert, and then the other times where Moses did different things. Well, this time, Phineas saw one of the men coming in with his girlfriend from another nation, and he takes his spear and he makes a shish kebab out of the man. And look at what God says. The Lord said to Moses, Phineas, son of Eliezer, the son of Aaron, the priest, has turned my anger away from the Israelites since he was so zealous for my honor among them as I am. What made him zealous? He killed the dude and said, we're done with this. I did not put an end to them in my zeal. Therefore, tell him I am making my covenant of peace with him. He and, he and his descendants will have a covenant of a lasting priesthood because he was zealous for the honor of his God and made atonement for the Israelites. Wow. How come I don't hear this one brought up at conferences? Be more like Phineas. Be more like Phineas. Stab the backslider. Send them to judgment. We don't have permission to kill. In the Old Testament, that was a capital offense. That was under the justice code. That Israelite man knew what he was doing. He deserved the death penalty. But spiritually, what do we do? We put to death the deeds of the flesh. We put to death the deeds of the flesh in all places and in all ways for the honor of God because we honor God's laws. God said don't do it. We don't do it. I don't care who else is doing it. I don't care what little sad story they tell you. I hope that you are hearing the stories and becoming used to them because they're only going to get worse. You know, I just heard a, a one of the, I think it was on BuzzFeed or Vice. BuzzFeed and Vice make it their total purpose in life to make Christians look dumb. They love Muslims. They treat Muslims like they are the bell of the ball. Muslims can do no wrong in their eyes. But Christians all the time. I just saw another one. I was in a cult, and basically she was a homeschooled Christian. And I'm like, come on now. They had another one there in the Moonies, all these crazy things they had to do. And then he had another perverted one that was there that was very sexual in orientation. But, yeah, here's this woman. And all she's basically saying is my parents uh, guided me and the friends I should have and made sure that I was safe. And, uh, you know, that was it. Like no one hurt her. No one touched her. No one violated her. And then she took it as I was just supposed to get married and have kids. Well, maybe somebody said that to you and they were wrong, but I don't know any Christian group, and she named some of the groups that I do know of that, that would teach something like that. I'm sure they would say, this is a part of your purpose is to be married and to be a mom. Otherwise, why do you think you're a female? You, you get what I'm saying? Why do you think you have those things in the front? What are they supposed to do? They're not supposed to be there so you can land a movie role or so you can model dresses or shake it like Jennifer Lopez. You have that body to have children. That's why you have the body. Now, if you don't want to use your body for that, that's up to you. You can walk on your hands if you want to, but you were given feet for a reason. They all believe in science until science shows them something that they're not doing, you know? Believe in science. Science. Okay, what does science say that's inside of a mother's womb? How does science say children are made? What does science say sexuality is for? What does science say the back door of a man's behind is for? What does science say it's for? Oh, let's do science. Oh, no, I don't want to do science. My brain tells me I should do something. Otherwise, that's why you're sick in your brain. That's why you're sick in your brain. 
And you need help. I need help. You need help. I need help. Let's get our brain changed. Let's get our brain changed, right? Let's change our mind. Let's think about it differently. Let's be who God wants us to be. Let's obey his laws. God wanted to protect these people from the pagan gods because they would always follow their wives and their gods and the culture. They had no spine or backbone. And God says, I want to put an end to this. And so this man was a man that honored God. He wasn't afraid to do what it took. And God made a covenant with him. We're not fighting flesh and blood in the new covenant. The Bible is very clear about that, okay? So I'm not here advocating any kind of violence. As clear as it was in the Old Testament, it did involve violence. It's as clear in the New Testament, it doesn't. Those who live by sword, die by the sword. Our battle's not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. The Bible is definitely clear. So anyone that ever fights in the name of religion, from Bubba the slave owner to the conquistadors to the Catholic Church, have sinned, and they are in hell with the same pagans they were killing if they didn't repent. Can I hear an amen to that? So let's not make excuses for what people have done wrong, and let's not overlook there was some true judgment going on. And I, one person said, uh, well, the God of the Old Testament is only a God of judgment. You know, God of the New Testament's really nice. And then uh, Cy Tim Brugencake said, stick around for a while. <laughs> stick around for a while, because that God of the Old Testament of judgment comes back in Revelation doing some stuff. So uh, stick around for a while. If you just think it's nice, Barney Jesus, you'll see that it's actually been the same God the whole entire time. And if I had an opportunity, I could easily show you it's always Jesus. It's always, Jesus was there bringing the plague through his angels, through his power. That's why I can show you through Sodom and Gomorrah. It was Jesus that met with Abraham beforehand. He stayed. And then it says, the Lord rained down fire and brimstone from the Lord in heaven. Two lords, but one God. The Lord person, Jesus, speaking to the Lord, the Father, brought down the fire and brimstone. Starting in Genesis, I can show you Jesus is there every other place. As a matter of fact, he said he's the angel that will follow the people of Israel, and he will have his name, God, the Father's name upon him, and you cannot sin against him and get away with it. That's Jesus, okay? Gideon's encounter is Jesus. Many of the encounters with the angel of the Lord is just another uh, description of Jesus in the Old Testament. That's why Hebrews starts off by saying, which of the angels did he ever say this, this, and this to? Because he's showing you he was more than an angel this whole time. And the word angel, malach, or angelos in the Greek, just means messenger. So he was a messenger in these different situations. Amen? And we see it by his role. Not like the cult guy who said, I'm the angel of the book of Revelation. No, that role, the guy, the angel says, is throwing down this and doing all that. No, the angel here is actually talking and hanging out. That's because he's a messenger. But you see, Gabriel and Michael, they're known by their names. This messenger is always just called the angel of the Lord. He's shrouded in mystery. That's our Jesus showing up. Can I hear an amen to that? Now let's go to the next one, just a few moments here. Uh, honor God above everyone. Here you have Eli, a corrupt priest. His children are sinning against God. They're manipulating him. And now God is going to rise up Samuel through Hannah. This child is going to be the prophet. That's going to be the greatest prophet, uh, or excuse me, the greatest judge and be the end of the time period of the judges and anoint the kings, the first two kings. And it says, why do you scorn my sacrifice and offering that I prescribe for my dwelling? Why do you honor your sons who were corrupt as priests more than me by fattening yourselves on choice parts of every offering made by my people Israel? 
So you just take what they are bringing, man. You're getting all the, the best cuts of the meat, best cuts of the lamb. You don't even care about bringing offering to me. You're just taking their food and having a party. Therefore, the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promise that members of your family would minister before me forever. That has to do with going back to Aaron's people. But now he says, the Lord declares, far be it from me. Those who honor me, I will honor. But those who despise me will be disdained. Does everybody get that? That's why I take serious honoring God. God says, those who honor me, I'm going to honor. Now think about that. God values you in a unique way when you honor him. Remember, no one goes to hell that God still wants in heaven. Hell is God's trash bin. That offends people who believe they're monkeys, and I don't know why. Because if you already believe you came from the goo through the zoo to you, why do you get upset when I talk about you being thrown out with the trash? Something bothers you when I say that. It bothers our human conscience to know that precious living souls go into the garbage bin of eternity. Why is that? It's because he despises them. But why? Did he start off despising us? No, it says he loved us. We were made in his image. But it was when we sinned against him that we became his enemies. But did he leave us in a state of, of being his enemies? No, he came and sent prophets and sacrifice and his nation Israel, which was known all around the world as being this holy people. We find remnants of the Jewish religion in Aztec artifacts. We find it in the Far East, in the Chinese dynasties, the Israeli influence. My friend, it's a beautiful thing how God, through the Tower of Babel and the separating of the nations, how God still kept his word going through those people groups. There was a reason they turned from that and started eating the hearts of their, their enemies. They turned to Satanism and wicked deeds, just like today people know about the Ten Commandments and want to live a life of ungodliness. These nations did that. But anyways, God says, I will honor all those who honor me. I will honor them. That's why even if you haven't got the gospel in your nation yet or you don't have a Bible yet, if you honor your creator, which is the natural thing to do when you wake up and become conscious in a world you know you didn't make. Did I make this? No. Did mom, you make this? No. Did dad make this? No, we all got here and it was already here. Okay, somebody made this. I honor the God who made all of this. God will start to speak to those people. And we see that throughout the history of missions. But especially those who have his word, who obey it, and then say, God, I honor you above my culture. I honor you above my family. I honor you above my sweet grandma who was Polish, who made the best pierogies, but she prayed to the saints and did this and did that. I honor you, God, above Grandma Wyrostek. I honor you, God, above my sons. I honor you above everything. I want to be known as someone who honors God. Don't you? And if that puts you at dishonor towards others, or rather if they dishonor you, is that worth it? Yes. Because I'd rather have God for me and everybody against me than have God, uh, everybody for me and God against me. So he will honor us. And that's what heaven is. That's what eternity is. It's being honored. And it's not hard to be honored by God. It's not like he's asking us to do all these impossible things. The, I know we even talk about the Israelites. I've had a, a great just more appreciation for them as time has gone on. Sometimes we look at the 613 laws and we almost dishonor God. Like, oh my goodness, God was so mean back then. Didn't let them eat pork. Didn't let them do this. Didn't let them do that. Man, God was such a meanie. No, God was blessing them through all that. David said, I love your law. And he's not talking about the law uh, that we have in the New Testament. It says you can eat whatever you want and all of that. No, he loved the laws that gave him dietary restriction. 
Why? Because it reminded him he was a separate people. He didn't eat what everybody ate, didn't wear what everybody wore. It showed them how to go into their temple and to worship their God, gave them a peace of mind with a guilty conscience because Christ had not come yet. It gave them the ability to have leadership, government. So many of the things that were there for good government, we built our government upon. Even in the New Testament, the governmental structure is used in reference, even to the point of how you take care of animals. Don't muzzle the ox. It's a biblical principle. Government shouldn't abuse their workers, shouldn't abuse people. I mean, this is amazing stuff. The sword is there for a reason, for defensive war and for just war. Paul said that's about Romans. He got that. In Romans, he said, I was about even the Roman government, if they do it right. That goes back to the Old Testament. So many of those things were, were the foundations for the Western civilized world. I'm thankful for the Judeo-Christian worldview. I'm glad we're not running the world like Rome, Greece, Machu Picchu, Chinese dynasties, or the Hindu caste system, or the Egyptian pharaohs. I'm so thankful for the Jewish law and the Christian worldview that helps us apply it. Honor God above everything else in your culture. And by doing that, you bring your culture to Christ's culture. So when I say to hell with American culture, uplifting Christ culture, that doesn't mean I want America to go to hell or that I disdain American people. No, what I'm telling them is you don't have a culture that's, in, that's comparable to the Christ culture. You have nothing of value in your culture. Because where does American culture come from? We say, oh, it comes from the TV, it comes from this, it comes from that. Get it from this and America will be the greatest nation again. Uh, it's the greatest nation, I should say, in prosperity, but it will be the greatest nation in, in morals again. Praise God. And it's not even, let me even say this because sometimes people ask, well, does that mean we take away free speech and do all this? We can keep the exact same laws, but people won't use them the way they're using them. Like right now, I have free speech, but I haven't said a curse word in over 20 years. You see, when they were making these laws, they weren't thinking that your free speech would, would amount to pornography and all of this vile, disgusting stuff. In their mind, it was good people, Christian people, will know that they're free to agree, to disagree, to have press, to do all of that, but they'll stay within their morality. So once again, even though I'm free to say whatever I want, I don't. It's not beneficial. But now we're in a generation that was given rights by Christians who are just totally abusing them. It's like you've been given the keys to the car your parents bought, and now you're driving at 95 because it can go 95. It can go 95, but that doesn't mean you should go 95. Does everybody get the difference there? They gave us all of these freedoms. That doesn't mean a school shooter should walk in with his gun and start shooting up people. But, but they all had guns in the Wild West. They all had guns in, in uh, colonial times. Why weren't they shooting up the schools? They had more honor for life. They had more honor for each other. The places that I was just in the country, I mean, the guy's house that I went shooting at in Florida who had just shot a gator before the day I got there, and then I shot his corpse in the, in the swamp. That was cool. Um, I was like, man, can I shoot him? He's like, yeah, he's dead, but I, I want to shoot him too. So I just went over there and shot him. Boom. He just did the thing. And I was like, can I go get him? And he's like, nah, he's probably all de you know, de decrepit, right? He's been there for two, two days or something. Or, yeah, day and a half by that time. He said they, they, they decrep, you know. But I was like, I still would have did it, you know. Like that skin would last a while, right? Just get all the junk out of there and just have some, some alligator skin to bring home to you guys. But my point is they all have guns. He has guns. He's not walking down to the grocery store shooting up the entire grocery store. Why? Because guns are not the problem. It's the people who have the guns. Let's go to number four. I'm just going to close this out quickly. When does your class start? Okay, I'm going to close this out in five minutes by God's grace. Honor God's will. Ezra 10, 11. 
Now honor the Lord, the God of your ancestors, and do his will. Separate yourselves from the people around you and from your foreign wives. God had given them a chance for their wives to convert, to become Jews. At this point, if they were rebellious and didn't want to, he said divorce them. We're not going to allow pagans to be in this nation anymore. It's over. This is them coming out of captivity and all the compromises that they had made. Thankfully, they weren't put to death. That's a good thing. We can see that God was still being patient with them. During Phineas's day, that was an obvious no-no, but God was being gracious to them right here. But if you notice, it says, the God of your ancestors, honor him and do his will. Do his will. God gives us his will. God could have said, we're going to put to death your foreign wives and you for doing this. But he said, I'm going to be gracious and just ask you to divorce them. But either way, you cannot have these pagans in our nation now. You're coming out of captivity. This is a holy nation. Did they honor God's will? Yeah, they did it. That's what we have to remember is that God's will is not an opinion. God's will is not something we then go and talk to the manager about and say, can we do this differently? You know, it's not like Jesus is here telling us to do something, and we go, I'm going to go talk to your father. I don't like this. I'm going to go march over here and talk to the father. No, when God's will comes across, we obey it. And clearly, his will is in his law. So the law and the will thing are hand in hand. But the thing I wanted you to see here is that God can be gracious in his law to us. And we have to be willing to hear what he's saying at that time. Though we know we can disfellowship people, we know we can rebuke them, is that God's will in the moment? Is that the best thing for them? Maybe it's better to encourage and then correct as opposed to just rebuking. This was still a death penalty. But he says, I'm not going to have you guys die because of this. I'll be merciful. You're coming out of captivity. If they haven't converted as of yet, then just divorce them. That was his will. And so we have to be patient to hear what God is saying. If a Phineas would have ran up at that time and go, I got the solution, and speared them, that would not have been God's will. It would have been right by the law. Who's, who's somebody who acted like that? Jesus. It was God's will to stone the adulterer. It was God's will written in the law. But what does the will of God now show us in that story? That mercy triumphs judgment. It's not that he says the law is bad or she shouldn't die. Please don't get that out of the story. What the story is, all of you should die too. So if we're throwing rocks, let's all throw them at each other. Because they who were inflicting the judgment had forgot how to live righteously. They were no longer living righteously, so they were no longer fit to bring the judgments. And so God was showing them, even at this time, most of you are not even living righteous. Who's going to even bring the judgment? Who is a Phineas? No one really, maybe a few at this time. So he's like, there's so many wicked of you, so many of this. I'm going to be merciful to you. Take this baby step and come closer to my will, uh, you know, to my commands as you follow this will. But the, the, the command was still get rid of the wives. So you had to go there. And so we have to be sensitive to know how God is speaking his will according to his law in each situation, never making it look bad. Just because I didn't rebuke you and kick you out that day doesn't mean I couldn't have rebuked you and kicked you out that day. I'm just trying to hear the mercy of God in a situation. Just because God, uh, Jesus didn't take a stone and knock her upside the head because that's still old covenant and send her to judgment does not mean she didn't deserve it. What it just shows is God had a different plan. Mercy triumphs judgment. It's the scripture. Last one. 
honor God and worship. Honor God and worship. We end in the book of Revelation. This is a great Trinitarian verse. Then I heard every creature. Now notice, a creature is created. Every creature. If Jesus was a, cre a creature, he would be on this side, every creature. Jehovah Witnesses like to take verses like this and put every other creature. They're lying. The Greek doesn't have the word other. The Greek has every. All creatures. Jesus is not a creature. Just know that. Every creature, everything ever made in heaven and on earth, under the earth and on the sea, and all that is in them. Can you exist outside of heaven, earth, under the earth, sea? No, you cannot exist in any other place except for that. Under the earth is hell. The Bible considers that place hell. Above the earth is heaven. We'll talk about dimensions later, but that's just where the Bible places it in its worldview. Earth, heaven, hell. Can you exist in any other place except earth, heaven, hell? And the sea he just throws in there as another element that they would be familiar with. No. So this is every creature. Jesus is not a creature. To him who sits on the throne and to the lamb. Who's the lamb? Jesus, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said amen, and the elders fell down and worshiped. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this wonderful day. What an amazing service. I thank you for the worship that we had already at the beginning. I thank you for your word that comes across clearly, that encourages us, enlightens our soul. And I pray now that you would teach us to honor you. Show us how to do this. Teach us to love you. Teach us to obey you, to follow you. Show us how to put you above everyone else without being unneedfully rude, mean, or uh, discounting of their value. Teach us, O oh Lord, to follow your will, even though we know there are laws that give us the right to do certain things. Help us to know your will in those circumstances. And Lord, let us be worshipers of you. Help us throughout the day, especially in times in school when we feel overwhelmed. Show us that worship gives you the honor and the glory and then gives us the mindset to face all of the issues of life because we can trust you. We can learn in worship that you're with us, you're powerful, that there's nothing good you'll withhold from us and that because of you we can do all things. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we worship you today. We thank you for this semester starting. Bless us as we continue on. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Love you.